Hello, returning happies and new listeners. This is Steve Bennett Martin. And this is Stephen Martin Bennett. And, and welcome, welcome to A Lifetime, Lifetime of Happiness, the podcast where we take you on our journey through some of the movies, TV shows, and other bits of pop culture that are helping to keep us happy, while hopefully bring a smile to your face along the way. And today we're continuing Final Girl February as we jump into the dream realm as Nancy faces off against Freddy Krueger in the 1984 horror classic, a Nightmare on Elm Street. But first, my love, what's been making you happy? So it is new sitcoms for the year that are making me happy. Mm-hmm. We've talked previously about Ghosts on CBS. Yes, grateful first season. Yes, and we're getting a season two. Excellent. Yay. So that in and of itself made me very, very happy. And then there is another sitcom that is on ABC called Abbott Elementary that is making me quite happy these days. And Abbott Elementary is from Quinta Brunson, who we knew from um, a black lady sketch show on HBO. Yes. And also has familiar faces people may know, like Lisa Walter and Cheryl Lee Ralph, who Cheryl Lee Ralph was one of the original dream girls in the movie, or on Broadway. Oh, okay. But she's also been in a lot of other wonderful things. The show's filmed in, like, a mockumentary format. It's just done really, really well. So if you have ABC, watch Abbott Elementary, CBS for Ghosts. You can find them on demand. It's worth your time. Yes, it's always nice to have a couple, like, quick 20, 30-minute comedies to help brighten your day. Yes. Now, what about you, my darling? What's been making you happy? Well, it's been making us both happy, I feel. We've been playing the hell out of Pokemon Legends Arceus. I do think we have spent, you know, five or ten minutes on it. More like 50 or 60 hours for me at this (laughs) point. Oh, goodness. Okay. I'm not there yet. But, yeah, it's been a lot, and it's amazing. It is. It is a huge step forward for the Pokemon series. It's the first one that feels like a fresh new thing in years. I feel like the last, like, I mean, Sword and Shield, of course, were new and exciting, but they still very much followed the formula. Mm -hmm. This, meanwhile, breaks all the rules in the best way possible. Oh, yeah. Like, this is the most excited I have been playing a Pokemon game in a very long time. Like, I finished Brilliant Diamond, Shining Pearl, and it was good, but for some reason, I didn't feel compelled to finish the decks. Yes. And that one. But there is, and I went straight from that pretty much with a one week break into Arceus. I can't stop with Arceus. Like I just want to keep coming back. I said the other night that it makes me kind of remember when we were playing Hades, you're like, okay, just one more run. Yes. Yeah. I can just do one more run. You know, I've got time for that. It's been great. So I'm sure down the road, maybe we'll do a full episode once we both have finished the game. But in the meantime, yes, if you're a gamer and you ever loved Pokemon, definitely check it out. 100%. I fully agree. Yes. Now let's head on over to Nightmare on Elm Street. Why did you choose this or why did we choose this? So it was one of the first horror movies I ever saw growing up. And I pretty much saw it as a five or six year old. Like whenever it came out on video, Mm -hmm. my brother had rented it and he's eight years older than I am. So he was a pretty much appropriate age at that point and, you know, teenager. And 
I remember watching it probably when I wasn't supposed to and being terrified as a small child. Yeah. And I mean, I had a similar experience a couple of years older. I was probably like in high school, but I had watched it with friends and none of us had ever seen it before. And it scared the hell out of all of us. We were watching it in my parents' basement and just that like kind of, I think it, it helped that all of us were watching it for the first time. So none of us knew what to expect. Yeah. And just that, you know, excitement and like anxious terror was contagious. Yeah. And I remember, you know, I'm not big on remembering my dreams to begin with. This was when I remember having nightmares for a couple of days afterwards. Well, and people already have nightmares and, you know, no matter how old you are, you can wake up from a bad dream and you are scared or you still feel uneasy. And just the idea that someone's going to attack you in your nightmares. Yes. That, yeah. I mean, it's when you're your most vulnerable. So it's a little scary. Yes. That whole idea. <laughs> well, Tell us a little bit about how it all came to be. Well, it is a supernatural slasher film written and directed by Wes Craven and produced by Robert Shane. Wes Craven, that seems like a name I should know. We've covered one or two of his movies. He is a horror icon after all. We previously discussed him at length in our coverage of the screen movies. While Shane produced the franchise through the 2010 remake, as well as 2007's Hairspray and the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Wow. Yes. He was even the principal in Freddy versus Jason. Uh, Okay. Well, then I have definitely seen him and he has been with us a long time. Now it stars Heather Langenkamp as Nancy Thompson. John Saxon as Lieutenant Don Thompson. Ronnie Blakely as Marge Thompson. They're all related. Yes. Um, Robert England as Freddy Krueger. And Johnny Depp in his film debut as Glenn. Yes. Now, Langen Camp is mostly known for her role as Nancy, but was also Marie in the TGIF series, Just the Ten of Us. I used to love Just the Ten of Us. It was really good. And she was the nerdy sister with the glasses. Yes. (laughs) So it was definitely a, this was kind of like going against form for her. Excellent. Meanwhile, staying true to form, Saxon, we also knew from Black Christmas in a very similar role as the cop. Yep. (laughs) While Blakely previously had starred in the 1975 movie Nashville. And Robert England, though he has been in many things, is Freddy Krueger, and he is going to be seen very soon as Victor Creel in Stranger Things. Yes. Uh, meanwhile, Johnny Depp was never heard from again. Yep. I mean, too faded. bad for him. It was a one and done. Yeah, faded into obscurity. Yep. <laughs> He's been in a couple of things. Most notably for me, at least, were the Pirates of the Caribbean yep, trilogy. Oh, uh, and, you know. Or for Ludgy. However many there have been. But, yeah. And also, you know, anything with that other director. Yes, Tim Burton. <laughs> yeah. Now, the movie had a budget of $1.1 million, which is a lot for a horror movie at that time, I think. Really? I was like, how do they make so many awesome effects? Because we've covered other movies, even from the 80s, that had budgets of 3 to $4 million, and it didn't come looking the way that like this one looked. They did, they did really well in terms of the special effects with what they had. Well, the, the one that always amazes me, the bed Mm -hmm. i think i read that that was just built upside down Mm -hmm. but it had a box office of 57 million dollars 
It launched a franchise and set a new standard for horror. Yes, New Line Cinema was in its infancy at the time and was ready to go bankrupt before the movie's success. So at times it's referred to the house that Freddie built. Yeah, like if you're like these days, if you're watching um, horror movies, you're going to be thinking of, you know, the guys that do the new Halloween trilogy house bloom house. Exactly. And, but back in the day, if you saw a, mo- a horror movie and at the beginning it said new line cinema, you were like, yes, this is going to be good. Yes. It's, I remember that through the nineties and yeah. even into the early aughts. Now, one thing that you don't have in every single horror movie out there is that this is actually based on true stories. Wait, there's somebody that actually jumps into your nightmares. Yes, exactly. Uh oh. Possibly, at least. Okay. Uh, it's inspired by several newspaper articles printed in the LA Times in the 70s among, among refu- refugees who fled to the US because of war and genocide in Laos, Cambodia, and Vietnam. Upon their arrival, they began to suffer from nightmares that were so horrible they refused to sleep. Some of the men between the ages of 19 and 57 died in their sleep soon after, resulting in a phenomenon medical authorities of the time, because it was the 70s, called Asian Death Syndrome. It was believed it was either due to sudden unexplained death syndrome or cardiac issues, which were actually ruled out by the coroner in the majority of the cases. So they just did randomly Die. die in their sleep. That is so creepy. And you know the whole urban legend that if you die in your dreams, you die in real life. Yeah. Which is why you wake up right before you hit if you fall off a cliff or something like that. Yeah. And there's always, oh, yeah, no. My cousin's friend died in his dreams and he died in his sleep. Really? How do you know he died in his dreams? Mm -hmm. He's dead. Anyway, tell us more. Freddy Krueger was inspired by an elderly man that a young Craven saw walking on the side path outside the window of his home. And was named after a bully from Craven's adolescence. His sweater's red and green design was designed after he read a 1982 article in Scientific American that said that those were the two colors that were most clashing to the human retina. Or to me, they look the same because I'm red, green, colorblind. <laughs> so what do you see when it does? Do you see stripes on I, a sweater? I do see stripes. I was kidding there. Okay. I don't see just a one flat color. It's more just I'd have trouble picking a rose out of a like a green bush. Gotcha. His burnt face was to provide a terrifying look that, quote unquote, wasn't just another mask. Mm-hmm. And his weapon of choice, the knife gloves, were designed to stand out from the other guy's knives and other traditional weapons after a scythe was phased out of earlier drafts. Yeah, the I think if he had had a scythe like death, it wouldn't have been as as effective. I mean, obviously a scythe is still going to be scary. But yeah, I feel like that his personality would have had to change with the weapon, though, because in this like this is very personal. Yes. Yeah. Now, he was originally written explicitly as a child molester, as he should have been. But Craven reframed him as a child murderer in order to avoid accusations of exploiting a highly publicized child molestation case in California at the time. (sighs) But in the remake, which everyone loves, it (laughs) is made explicit. Yes. And and I was kidding about that. We loved it. I did. I thought it was fantastic. Yes. On Freddy's Nature, Craven states that... In a sense, Freddy stands for the worst of parenthood and adulthood, the dirty old man, the nasty father, and the adult who wants children to die rather than helping them prosper. He's the boogeyman and the worst fear of children, the adult that's out to get them. He's a very primal figure, sort of like Kronos devouring his children, that evil, twisted, perverted father figure that wants to destroy and is able to get them at their most vulnerable moment. 
which is they're asleep. It just gives you the warm and fuzzies when you hear that, I think. Oh, yes, certainly. <laughs> so let's get into the movie. I'm sure we'll have lots of fun stuff along the way to, to go for my research. <laughs> yes. So it starts off as the credits are beginning with a small fix- picture of Freddie building his now famous gloves in his workshop. And, you know, it leads to the title, A Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes, we then transition to Tina in her nightmare, where she finds herself in a broiler room being chased by Freddy, who corners her just as she wakes up, only to find claw marks tore open her nightgown. Her mom's boyfriend is too horny to deal with it, and her mom says, Gotta cut your fingernails or stop that kind of dreaming one way or the other. Yep. And with that, what's the scare? Like, I mean, the boiler room is pretty scary, especially with the way that they have the lighting and the steam and everything. What's the scariest horror escape you've had in a nightmare? Honestly, for me, it's whenever it's taking place in situate in areas that I'm familiar with. Like some of the scariest dreams from my childhood, the location was at my house mm-hmm. so that, you know, especially if it took place in your bedroom or something, and then you wake up from the nightmare and you're still feeling it. And then, you know, it was just right here and you're still there. So those type of things where it's something based in reality, that it's a place I'm familiar with. That's what gets to me. What about you? I would say me as well. As I mentioned earlier, I'm not going to be as much fun with uh, remembering your dreams or nightmares because it's not something I'm really great at. But I do know that, you know, certainly the ones where I'm like, is this real life? Am I awake or am I asleep? Yeah. Those are the scariest ones. So in our church growing up, we actually, so down in the basement, they renovated part of it to be like kind of the teenagers area of the church. But then there was another room that you step down several steps into, and it actually is the boiler room of the church. Mm-hmm. And I remember all of us being very sure that Freddy Krueger was in that boiler room. And then there were people going, other kids like, Freddy can't be in a church. It's a sacred, holy place. And I'm like, then go in the boiler room and find out. Yeah. <laughs> and then she died. <laughs> yeah. What's interesting during the scene, and it always stuck out at me from a child and even when we rewatched it, is that you see the goat with the bell around its neck and it's bleeding, making that noise. Um, And also this, it it comes again in Freddy versus Jason. So it's not a thing that was forgotten. There's nothing really online that talks about its significance. What do you think I think that goats are oftentimes seen as symbols of sacrifice. Uh-huh. And so it's kind of like similar, like leading a lamb to the slaughter, having a goat. Yeah. Because these kids aren't being targeted because of anything that they've done. It's because of the things that their parents have done. And in some ways, they're the sacrifice yep. that the parents are giving Freddie or like Freddie's taking from them. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's very much like they're comparing like the goat to the children being a sacrifice for Freddie to get revenge on their parents. I completely agree. And to this day, I still have some negative connotations to goats, not the baby goats that you see in pajamas on the videos mm-hmm. online. Those are great. But like in the movie, Witch with black Thomas, mm-hmm. like as soon as there was a goat, I was like, that's bad. Yeah. <laughs> So the next morning, we hear girls jumping rope and singing the Freddie Nursery rhyme, which is the way we scared each other as children doing the whole, 
One, two, Freddy's Freddy's coming coming after you. you. Three, four, better lock your door. Five, six, grab your crucifix. Seven, eight, better stay up late. Nine, ten, never sleep again. Yes. (laughs) And And Tina meets up with Nancy Glenn, and Nancy just insists it's all a dream. What did you think seeing the teens all together for the first time? I would say, you know, certainly I could see a lot of the stereotypes that are later found in horror. You know, you have Nancy as the good girl. Glenn is kind of that that hero-ish boyfriend. Mm -hmm. While you have Tina, who, you know, I, I feel like... You know, at first thing that we see her first before we even see Nancy, there's part of me that like the first time through that was like, oh, she's going to be the final girl. But she was kind of Casey Beckard. Yes, she certainly was. And there's also Rod, the the bad boy who, you know, we know what's coming for him because he has a coming. Yeah. And it's interesting that his character seems the most of a caricature mm-hmm. that's kind of dumb, kind of rude and things and in Freddy versus Jason um there's definitely a character that's kind of modeled after him because after he after that character dies and his girlfriend is having a dream like he's kind of a dick to her and it's all about like having sex and I'm like He's definitely the Rod character in this movie. Yes. I mean, he did have a couple moments like later on when he was talking about his dream. But overall, you know, he's very much a caricature mm-hmm. of the horny teen, almost like Kurt from last week with Final Girls. Yes. But more malicious. Yes. Later that night, Glenn does a charade with a tape deck and airport noises to convince his mom that he's staying with his aunts when in reality he's staying with Nancy at Tina's while her parents are out of town because Tina's still freaked out from her nightmare and doesn't want to be alone. That's called a plot device (laughs) because you know it's interesting that Tina's that freaked out from one dream but you know we're, we're meant to believe it and Tina's fear of it helps us to believe that it is that scary And I love that whenever they're talking, Nancy and Tina start realizing that they had the same nightmare of the same man in the dirty red and green sweater with the finger knives. Yes. Rod then crashes their get together to hook up with Tina. Of course he does. Which will help her fall asleep, I'm sure. (laughs) Now, with Glenn doing his little thing with the tape deck to make, you know, to fool his mom into thinking he's staying at his aunt's that what well, was the farthest you've ever gone as a teen to convince your parents you were somewhere other than where you told them you would be honestly yeah i didn't have to oh no yeah sorry mom and dad had very specific rules but we had as long as we and they were easy rules to live by like i had friends that were like how do your parents let you do so much i was like they expect this of me I tell them what I'm going to do. I do it. And so they give me leeway to do things like that. Well, that's sweet, but boring. I (laughs) used to have my, like, luckily one of my friends like had like a much deeper voice than you would expect from a high school student. So he got to be the one who normally got to call over our parents pretending he was one of the dads of like the place that we were hanging out to say like, yeah, it's okay. They'll be home in time or whatever. That's yeah. I never had to do it. Mom and dad were good. (laughs) That makes one of us. <laughs> Glenn even tries to put the moves on Nancy that night, but she's too shaken by her nightmare and 
worried about Tina and makes him sleep on the couch. And after Rod and Tina have sex, we also find out Rod had a similar nightmare. Yes. Now, while Nancy sleeps, the cross comes off the wall and some figure comes from the wall, sees Tina isn't there and it leaves. Like that whole thing was creepy to me because like we're meant to believe that it happens in dreams, but can it come into reality or was this part of a dream? Like it's very ambiguous in that thing, but it always freaked me out. But I love that the cross had to be off the wall before he could access the wall. Yes. Now, later that night, Tina wakes up clearly in a dream and is called outside. She walks into the dark, foggy alley. Tina. Tina. Freddy chases her and begins attacking her. Meanwhile, in the real world, she is screaming and thrashing while Rod watches on in horror as Freddy drags a bleeding out Tina up the wall and across the ceiling. Yeah, that whole scene... I, I remember it seeing it for the first time freaking me out one like I didn't understand as a child like how it could possibly happen like how are they doing this what's going on and it was even more terrifying and then like because you know Rod actually does care about her and he's seeing this happen he's seeing her harmed and you know the typical macho jock you would think, oh, they could jump to the rescue. But I think sometimes we don't give enough credit that something like that you don't might know be scary happening. enough to freeze anybody. Yeah, I feel like that's one of those iconic deaths like because of not only the visuals of her going up and over the wall, which is something that's just like, again, out physically of a, impossible, physically impossible out of a nightmare or yeah. out of a dream. But just the fact that he, you know, that someone who loved her was having to just be forced to watch in horror, just completely and totally helpless because he was unsure of what was going on. Yep. And so of course he flees out the window as Nancy and Glenn break into the room. Yes. And over 500 gallons of fake blood were used in making the movie. I'm sure about a hundred of them were used for this because there was a lot of blood. And I would say the 350 other f- of it were the bedroom scene with Glenn later on. Yes, exactly. <laughs> now at the police station, we meet Nancy's parents who were standoffish and almost definitely divorced or at the very least separated. Yep. Nancy's dad's a detective. Nancy insists it wasn't Rod, that it was the nightmares. Tina dreamed this would happen. Yes. The next morning, we now see the now famous exterior of Nancy's house before she tells her mom she's going to school. Okay. <laughs> Honestly, like, I had major, major problems with this. If your best friend was just murdered, would you want to go to school? And would your parents have let you? Like, okay, the Scream Kids. <laughs> yes. So we saw Sydney and Tatum and everybody go to school after Casey Becker. But that was a girl they had class with. It wasn't somebody they hung out with. This is allegedly Tina's very best friend. And her thought seven hours after her best friend was murdered is to go to school. I think it's for the plot device. I know, but that's one of the plot devices. I And I know it needs to happen for her to have some of the I, more iconic scenes and stuff. So if this had happened to you, would your parents have let you go to school? No, probably not. But then again, maybe they probably would have if I wanted to. I just don't think I would have wanted to. Yeah. Now, this house, would you move into this house? It depends on if the interior 
actually looks like the movie interior or if it's just the they use the exterior shots. Well, you can actually check it out on, on most realty websites because it is a real home and it was recently sold for $2.98 million earlier this year. I wonder if part of that was strictly because this was the nightmare house. Yeah, I would think so. <laughs> Now, on the way to school, she gets pulled aside by Rod, who swears it wasn't him. Nancy's dad interrupts him, and Rod flees, but gets arrested anyway. Yeah, so that was a whole thing where... Her dad was using her as bait, basically. Yep, because he was like, you know, Rod will probably show up at some point. And I think Nancy truly believes him there, that he didn't do it, because the Rod she's seeing pleading with her and terrified... It isn't because he's terrified that he killed Tina. Like you could see that he was being truthful in his fear that I didn't do it. Yes. Now at school, Lynn Shea is teaching a lesson about Hamlet and Julius Caesar. And Nancy falls asleep dreaming of Tina in her body bag. <sighs> Lynn Shea. I love her. So she is now a horror icon. Yes. And is in the insidious, insidious movies. movies and, where that's where she became like a list horror, but she has been in horror for many, many years. But tell us a little about her Shakespeare lesson. Yes. In Hamlet, there is a reference to Julius Caesar and an allusion to how Hamlet senior was betrayed by the people closest to him. Meanwhile, in this movie, the kids are ultimately betrayed by the acts of their parents, those closest to them. And I, And I even hope that in this lesson, it's kind of a nod to John Carpenter's Halloween, because in all of the Halloween movies, whenever the kids are in school, it's always a story that relates to fate and how Laurie and Michael Myers type of thing. So I'm hoping that this was even Wes's way of saying, hey, I like what he did with the school thing. I'm going to put the same type of analogy in here. Yeah. I, I love the game of if it's a classroom lesson that's bothered to be shown in the movie, what's the connection? Exactly. That goes back to even Buffy, the vampire slayer for me growing up. I was like, Hmm, this relates to the episode. Wow. <laughs> Literature. <laughs> but back to the nightmare, Nancy follows the trail of Tina's body bag and makes it to the school's boiler room on the way. She passed a female hall monitor who ended up, being Freddie, where's your pass? Screw your pass. No running in the hallways, Nancy. And then once there, Freddie taunts her and corners her, and she starts screaming, it's only a dream. It's only a dream. And she burns herself on the boiler pipe in the nightmare, which wakes her up in the real world, and she now has a burn, a burn on her arm. Yes, and that was chilling and certainly comes into play later with that connection between the dream world and reality. Right, because, you know, the first time we see Tina with the scratches on her mm-hmm. nightgown and the mom says, you know, you to cut your fingernails or um, stop that kind of dreaming. And you kind of think, well, maybe she did slash her own thing. Or Didn't was think it that? <laughs> well, it, there's that? Well, op- there's that option. But now it's pretty much verifying oh, shit, what happens to you in your dreams happens in the real world. Yes, and one thing I love about Freddy as a villain is that his taunts are very different to other horror villains at the time who are either almost like 
typically silent and don't say anything. Yep. And they're also typically physically larger and more silent while he's agile, is talkative. And the number of times, especially in this movie, the way he like torments them is like by dismembering himself or, you know, doing gross things to himself uh, as well as scratching his nails along metal surfaces. Oh, that whole worse than nails on a chalkboard sound is forever in any child's memory that has seen this movie. Yeah. I mean, what's your favorite part of Freddy or why he's such a great villain? I do like that. He's talkative in this one. Yes. I feel, you know, in the later ones where it goes comedy that I'm like, you know what? Maybe it would be better if he was silent because Mm -hmm. you, you don't run the risk of having as much of a cartoony villain if they don't say anything. Um, so while I do love his, the fact that he does talk maybe less is more, or, you know, if they would have kept it in a horror realm, because it's also similar to the Texas chainsaw movies, even though Leatherface is silent, those ended up going horror comedy as well. And it's, and Friday the 13th even did it because, you know, they went kind of campy, Jason X and Jason Takes Manhattan. And I don't know, I guess I have a, a thing where I like stay all horror or like Scream is always horror comedy. It, it's always a blend of both. And I wish that with this, they might have just stayed with the horror more and Robert England is great and his delivery is fantastic, but they're not as scary once he's funny. Yes. And Nancy goes to the police station to question Rod and makes the connection that they're all being stalked in their nightmares by the same man. That night, Nancy is taking a bath and is singing Freddie's nursery rhyme. And then she falls asleep. We see Freddie's claws drift up the bathtub between her legs in a very sexually menacing visual and after a brief wake-up knock from her mom, she drifts back to sleep and is pulled down underwater, although she manages to wake herself up. That scene always scared me, and I refused to take a bubble bath for a couple months after I saw this movie. I can imagine, especially at that young age. I was never much of like being allowed to take a bath when I was growing up because it used too much water. Oh, see, I had I had a bunch of tub toys, <laughs> like, and... Like I would stay in there forever playing with all these toys and, but I would not do bubble baths. If I couldn't see the bottom of the water, yeah. we weren't doing it. <laughs> yeah. And what I found interesting is that in this scene, the way that they accomplished this effect was a special bottomless bathtub. The tub was put in a bathroom set that was above a swimming pool. Yeah. Like I was always wondering, like when you're watching it, you're like, Cause you get to see from below that she's being pulled down into the depths and there's like the light kind of like in movies and TV shows where somebody's out on a frozen pond yeah. and it breaks. And that's kind of what you see. And you know, the, whenever you're watching it, you're kind of like, if he pulls her down far enough, is that going to close over? And she's not going to have a way back up into the tub. Like yes. that kept going into my mind. It was done really, really well. Yes. Meanwhile, in a premonition to the Sydney and Billy Loomis years later in Scream, yeah. Glenn visits Nancy that night coming in through her window. 
Nancy complains that without the sleep, she looks 20 years old, which is <laughs> cute since that's how old the actress was at the time. But I also love that someone that's allegedly 16, 17, that's like, oh, I haven't gotten any sleep. I look like I'm 20. Like, bitch. <laughs> I know. I can't. I couldn't do that. Imagine if I was just like, oh, I haven't slept. I look like such crap. I look like I'm 42. <laughs> You know, oh, I'd set you on fire. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now, she then asks him to watch her sleep while she tests something. She wants to go look for someone. So then she exits her house, and it's dark and foggy. And she's back in the alley searching. And she says, Glenn, are you watching? And he pops out from behind a tree and says, yes. At this point, we're confused if it's real or a dream because... She's in places we've seen, yeah. and but Glenn's there, and she's talking to him, and we know that she had asked him to watch out for her. But then in her nightmare, she walks pretty much from her house to the police station, and she sees Freddie preparing to murder Rod from the window, and now we know she's definitely in a dream. She screams for Glenn to wake her up, but, dumbass, he's asleep. Instead, Freddie finds her and chases her home, And in the scene that, oh, it's another one that always sticks with me. On the way up the stairs, her feet are getting sucked into goo on the stairs. But she ultimately makes it back up to her room, and they continue to struggle. And the alarm finally goes off and saves her. And she calls Glenn out for being a worthless piece of shit. Yes, rightly so. Yeah. Now, one thing I love, again, making the special effects budget work for it, is the melting staircase was Robert Shea's idea based on his own nightmares of being sucked into the stairs, and it was created using pancake mix. It's so weird how they did it. Like, now with higher definition things, you can see that where she's stepping are holes filled mm-hmm. with stuff. But back when we were originally watching it you on worse TVs... That, yeah. You couldn't see it. Yeah. Now, aware of Freddy's plans for Rod, they go to the police station, but her dad drags his feet on letting them back to see him. End up being too late to see Freddy hang Rod with his bed sheet, making it look like a suicide. (sighs) And this has all happened very quickly because now we're at Tina's funeral and Nancy describes what Freddy looks like to her parents. And they share a knowing look that they obviously know exactly who she's talking about. And they don't like that she's saying that name. But her mother insists on taking her to see a sleep disorder clinic. And in her deepest sleep, she has another nightmare that we don't actually get to see. And they're saying, you know, if she was having a nightmare, it would range in the uh, five, six, seven range. And hers is at 30. Yeah. And so you know that this is severely a nightmare. And it gives her a gray streak in her hair like Rogue. And Freddie claw marks on her arm. And Freddie's hat in her hands. Yes. And the next morning, her mom is secret drinking or not so secret drinking. Yeah. Uh, Nancy points out that Fred Krueger is embroidered on the hat. As the argument escalates, Nancy, Nancy calls out her mom for being a booze hound and she slaps Nancy in retaliation. It made me realize how horrible pretty much all of these parents are in the movie. They're not only ignorant or oblivious to what's going on, but they all have character defects and are still, quote unquote, sinning today. And I, I, it makes me wonder, so it, did Nancy's mom start drinking because she, even though she later come, says that she did what she did for her children and the city, 
is she drinking because she can't internally deal with what they did? Probably something that got progressed as she had that trigger, but I'm sure that, I mean, at this point it seems like she's a full on alcoholic. I can, I can't imagine her having been a normal drinker ever. It just says something that maybe she just drank with problems Yeah, when she did drink, which was rarer than when she began drinking every day after all of this happened. Mm. And so Glenn and Nancy are on this lovely bridge over a canal and he's talking to her about Balinese dream skills while she's reading up on booby traps. And he goes, you know, in, in the Balinese dream skills, they say, if you see a monster in your dream, you turn their back on them and that takes away its power and it'll disappear. Mm-hmm. Foreshadowing. Yes. That night, Nancy comes home to find bars on her window and her mom brings her to the basement to finally share who Fred Krueger was. He was a child murderer who killed 20 neighborhood kids. When they caught him, someone forgot to sign the arrest warrant, so the parents cornered him in the boiler room where he used to take his kids and blew the whole place up with gasoline. Mommy killed him, and I even kept his claws a souvenir. I know, what the fuck? <laughs> and it's okay now, Nancy. You can sleep. <laughs> yes, so of all the parents who cornered him, how or why did Nancy's mom get to keep the claws? So uh, my thought is that Nancy's dad kept the claws because he was the cop and took them from the crime scene. And even though he doesn't live in the house anymore, he probably stored them in their old furnace back in the day. And, you know, just didn't take them with him when he moved out. Right. Because in his mind, you know, out of sight, out of mind, probably. Yeah. Now, what are your thoughts on this backstory, both this version and the version we get in the remake? So in my mind, child murder is still going to be child molester that kills his victims, which is what I I believe he did in the remake as well. And, and it's, so it gives the parents justification Mm -hmm. for murder. And that's one of the things that in a story so that you don't totally turn your back on characters, you want them to feel justified in their actions that this was somebody that needed handled that normal justice had failed them and they had to do something to protect their children and other children, or this was going to keep happening. I like the story. Yeah, and no, and it makes perfect sense. And especially for the time, I'm sure nowadays with elevated horror, they would try and make it where he was actually innocent and the being burned alive is what turned him evil. Well, and you know, in the, the um, remake, they kind of hinted at that until it was like a twist that he was actually guilty. Yeah, because for, and I was watching and I was originally like, oh no, they are not going to make him innocent. And I was like, oh dear God, are they going to make him innocent? And then it was just a trick he was pulling on them. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that is such a Freddy thing to do too. Yes, it is. It was very good. Now, Nancy's new plan is to have Glenn watch her sleep, which I don't even know why you would trust this guy again. Never again. (laughs) And in her sleep, Nancy will grab a hold of Freddie, and then Glenn will wake her up, bring the both of them back to the real world where Glenn can knock out and or kill Freddie. Yeah, because that's logical. He's been shown to be very trustworthy and very capable, and the two of them can easily handle Freddie in the real world. Question mark, question mark. And at this point, Glenn still doesn't seem like he believes her, and he falls asleep in his own room. Glenn's mom wakes him up to check on him, and we also meet his dad, who doesn't want Glenn involved with Nancy anymore after all this craziness, which it's a really 
interesting thing that in a few days time, like you would think that Nancy has the reputation of the, this town good girl. Yeah. And in a few days time, somebody's father's like, you stay away from the crazy girl. Yeah, I mean, they appear to be the only normal parents in the movie, which made me wonder. I mean, since Glenn doesn't get the nightmares on his own and his mom seems nice and like one of the only parents without character defects, can we assume that Glenn's parents weren't involved in Kruger's murder? That's kind of what I'm assuming because it all seems... I don't know. if, If they had been involved, I think that they would have been putting two and two together by now. Uh, yeah. And I also think that if they had been involved, Freddie wouldn't have just killed Glenn be like that quickly. He would have wanted to torture him with torturing him in his nightmares mm-hmm. while this one, you know, Glenn's death happened so quickly and it was in an effort to taunt Nancy that it felt like it was more about Nancy and killing her boyfriend than it was killing Glenn. Exactly. Speaking of killing Glenn, Nancy falls asleep and Freddie taunts her that he's going after a boyfriend with the grossest thing and the tongue coming out of her phone saying, I'm your boyfriend now. Yes. And she can't get out because her mom is drunk as fuck on the couch and won't let her out through the locked door. Yeah. Because she has put a deadbolt that uses a key from the inside. That's safe. Yep. And Glenn is sucked into the bed along with his TV and everything else only for a blood geyser to come out. And as we said, this is where the rest of the blood budget went. When I was a kid, we had waterbeds. So I thought that what was happening was that he had gotten sucked into his waterbed from the way it went down and exploded. It wasn't until I was older that I was like, okay, real bed. But as I said, from what I heard that, and if you watch it, they put the bed on the ceiling and mm-hmm. built the room upside down so that when it geysered out, that instead of having the force to go oh. up, it just went down. I could see that. Yeah. I, now, Nancy now begs her dad to come wake her up in 20 minutes because he's just as capable as Glenn is. Yeah. I, I'm going to get him and you're going to arrest him, daddy. Yes. She then sets booby traps all around her bedroom before falling asleep with a 10 minute timer. Which is funny because those traps look like they took more than 10 minutes to prepare. Exactly. (laughs) And even with her intent to kill, they are still not half as terrifying as some of those booby traps Kevin set up in Home Alone. (laughs) Yeah, like, I think she needed some paint cans. (laughs) Yes. Now, in her dream, she goes down to the basement to get Kruger's glove, but it wasn't there. She then goes from the basement downstairs to the school's broiler room. As he chases her, she jumps off a balcony out onto her front lawn as the 10-second countdown begins, and she tackles him right as she wakes up. Oh, that's oh, and because the time's ticking down and you're like, is she going to find him in time? And at first she doesn't think it worked and she's looking around her room and then he jumps up from the other side of the bed behind her and she uses her traps to injure him since as expected, her father is nowhere in sight and the adults are continuing to ignore her, you know, even though she's screaming out the window in the basement, she douses him with her mom's liquor and lights him on fire leaving him to burn alive for the second time, thinking that he's done. She finally gets her dad inside, and they go down. They find scorched footprints leading up to her mom's bedroom, and they're too late to save her as a part that I don't think really works in the movie. The burnt remains of her mom get sucked poltergeist-like down into the bed. 
They ran out of their budget after the whole blood upside down <laughs> spewing out thing. Yeah, like I I would have believed it more if the corpse had just stayed on the bed, but yeah, it happens. Yeah. Now after her dad leaves, Kruger then appears from the bed and with Nancy's back to him, she tells, "I know your secret. I know the secret now. This is just a dream. I take back every bit of energy I gave you. You're nothing. You're shit." As he goes to attack her, we see him phase out. <sighs> this also works for ex-boyfriends. <laughs> oh, and then it immediately we see her walk out into her front yard with her mom, who's looking great and says that she's not drinking anymore. But it's kind of a very foggy morning and she gets into the car with our friends who are all now alive. And all of a sudden the car top, which is red and green, comes up and it traps them in the vehicle with the windows rolling up. And the mom is just waving a kind of idiot wave and we see the girls jump roping with the Freddy nursery rhyme as Freddy's arm bursts through the window and pulls Nancy's mom inside. Yes. And what do you think of the ending? My love, I have issues. Okay. (laughs) And part of it, I'm like, Oh, that's great. And then in another part of it, I'm like, well, whose dream was that? Wait, didn't she kill off Freddy? Like what, what was this? Like, and we don't really get an explanation of if she got rid of Freddy because we know it didn't happen in real life. Because there was the fog, the little um, girls from The Shining jumping rope. So it just leaves me with more questions. Was it really interesting and gave you a shock at the end of the movie? Yes. I wonder how it fits. Well, there were two alternate endings. The first of which she goes out into the car, you know, and it's very foggy, Uh similarly. And the mom's left on the doorstep just waving them goodbye and that's it. Mm -hmm. No, No top down and we're kind of left wondering is this a dream is this real uh-huh. what's happening and then in a very in one of the other drafts Shay wanted freddy krueger to be the one driving the car as the kids were screaming mm-hmm. it all became very negative though Shay said i felt a uh, philosophical tension to my ending that's so 60s it's stupid i refused to have freddy in the driver's seat and we thought up about five different endings the one we used with freddy pulling the mother through the doorway amused us all so much we couldn't not use it and and that's fine. Yes. And so even with the ending, we are left to believe that, you know, that that is another dream or nightmare of sorts. Mm-hmm. And so I would say that Nancy is definitely a final girl, wouldn't you? Oh, absolutely. And we know she does survive because she is the star of number three. Yes. Now, how does she fit the final girl trope? So in all the ways that the, we've talked about, she's not blonde. She does not have sex. We don't see her drink. We don't see her smoke. She starts off as the good girl and over the course of a two week period or so becomes more badass. You know, she like Jamie Lee Curtis had 24 hours or less with Halloween. At least she's got some time to build up and do some research and kind of figure out what's going on here. I think it really works. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I would say that, you know, A lot of things seem to be happening to her, which like also seems like she didn't have much agency, which also fits the old fashioned final girl trope. Yeah, I would say that there's really not many ways that she doesn't. I mean, her final girl powers were like the booby traps, but even that's something, you know, she she doesn't get physically fit or anything like that that we oftentimes see. But I think that that's better because the power here is in the dreams. It's not in the real world. Right. And maybe her final girl power 
is realizing that she has the power over the dream realm and can take the power away from him. Yes. Now, this isn't the last, as you mentioned, that we see of Nancy. This has become a franchise with a total of nine Nightmare on Elm Street movies, if you include Freddy vs. Jason in 2003 and the failed 2010 reboot. Yeah. And I enjoyed a good, like, I actually enjoyed all of them. After a while, you have to enjoy them for what they are, as I mentioned, changing, because number two was just painful, weird. Three was most like one, Mm -hmm. like one and three. But so I'd say four is my favorite, probably. What one is four? Isn't that Dream Warriors? No, that's three. Okay, never mind. Three is my favorite. Yeah. Yeah, West didn't like the idea of a franchise. Yeah, he skipped most of the sequels, except for being the screenwriter for three in 1988 and then writing and directing New Nightmare in 1994. So my favorites from the franchise, excluding the original. Let's take that off because most everybody's going to say that's that's the best one. Dream Warriors for sure. And I super enjoyed Freddy versus Jason. Like it was the perfect amount of intentional camp Mm -hmm. and I enjoyed it. What about you? Uh, Dream Dream Warriors, Warriors. I would say as well as the first one, of course. And Freddy versus Jason is fun. Yeah, I agree. And I would say that that's my favorite Jason movie. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. And you know what I also love? Is it our listeners? I, it is. Yes, I love our listeners, and we would love to hear from you and what you thought of this episode and the Nightmare on Elm Street movie or franchise. Yep. You could do that by emailing us at happylifepod at gmail.com. You can get in touch with us on all the socials, whether that is Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or TikTok at Happy Life Pod. And until next time, everyone... Stay happy. You're still here, which is great, because there's something we probably forgot to mention this episode. That is correct. Each episode as we're discussing movies, music, and games, there's a good chance we've used a small clip or two from the original source material. Yes, and those clips are not ours. We do not own the rights to any of the music or clips. They were used to help solicit a discussion to appreciate the original source material. And with that, if you are still listening, you likely really appreciate our material as well. I mean, how could you not? And if you've enjoyed this episode, then you should also ask yourself, when's the last time I told a friend to check out A Lifetime of Happiness? If your answer was not today, well, it should be. Yes, so go tell your best girlfriend about our podcast today, and don't forget to subscribe or follow us wherever you're listening to get new episodes each Wednesday. Stay happy.